0: God commands that we walk by faith, but when we walk by sight, Pastor Xavier Reese warns our compromises are in full view.
1: What a dangerous thing when we want to walk by sight. I compromise. Maybe I can get away with it. Maybe nobody will find out. But God sees all. Oh, be careful what you do in secret. God just may want to do it in the open and expose it.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Simple Truth of Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And in a message titled, Hindrances to Spiritual Growth, Pastor Xavier explains that it's when we walk by sight we can expect to see some very predictable characteristics of compromise along the way. Today is the conclusion of our first in a new series in the Old Testament book of Numbers as we find important background at the end of the book of Exodus. Let's listen.
1: Exodus chapter 32. Let me read verses 1 through 6 and we'll look at them. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molten calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose early on the next day, they offered burnt offerings, they brought peace offerings, the people sat down to eat, to drink, and they rose up to play. Four characteristics are given to us in this passage for Israel's backsliding as Moses is up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The first one is impatience, the first portion of verse 1. The second one is a desire to walk by faith, the rest of verse 1 down to verse 3. The third characteristic is compromise, verse 4 and 5. Listen. And he received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with an engraving to He made a molten calf. Then he said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Incredible. This is Moses' brother. He shapes it with his own hand. He declares a feast of the Lord with this idolatrous calf. Compromise is marked by two things. First, a deviation from God's revealed Word. Verse 4. A deviation from God's revealed Word. That's compromise. You know what the Word of God says, and you deviate from the revealed Word of God. You just plain do opposite to what the Bible says. Secondly, a distorted view that declares the compromise to be in accord with God's word. Oh, yes, this is the Lord, this is the Lord, this is the Lord's feast, and these are the gods that have delivered you. You now you pervert the word of God and you ascribe meaning to the scripture to match your practice. One is deviation, the other one's distortion. Deviation and distortion. And yet Moses is up on the mountain. God has just given them the Ten Commandments. God has just delivered them from the Exodus. He has done miraculous things, and now they turn. But they do want to give credit to God. (laughs) That sound familiar? It begins with the leaning to my own understanding because I have become impatient with God. Then it moves into the confidence of sight to confirm my understanding then the natural step is compromise because I see the advantage to my life, my will, my desires. Do you see the progression? Do you see the connection between one and the other? You remember Gehazi in 2 Kings 5? When Naaman had leprosy and by the uh, declaration of a little maid that was taken captive, said, hey, there's God in Israel that can heal him. And so he was sent with letters. He came and when he got to the house of Elisha, he said, hey, I'm here to get healed. The king, first of all, got all upset. He says, oh, my God, that I can heal. This guy's picking a fight with me. So Elijah says, hey, send him down to me. And he came, and he was expecting some kind of magical thing, and some spectacular thing, you know, his name and all, yes, and about. He just sent a servant and says, hey, tell him to go tip himself the muddy Jordan a couple of times. The guy got upset. You see, he thought too highly of himself. <laughs> but the servant was wiser than he, and as they're going back, you know, and he's murmuring, saying, "You know, this thinking dirty Jordan. I mean, isn't there a better river like the far, far, and the mother rivers up there? I mean, you know, I could dip myself." He says, "Master, listen, we've come so far. What's the big deal? What do you got to lose? Go down, dunk yourself. You come up, you're not healed. We go home. You come up, you're healed. Man, I went down there once, twice, three times. Pink as a baby. Man, was he excited?" He went back to Elijah, hey, here, here's some gold, here's some, hey, hey. But God healed you. I don't need anything. Gehazi the servant saw the gold, the silver, the garments. As he was headed back, he caught up with him and says, by the way, uh, uh, Naaman, you know, some students of the seminary we have up the hill came down. And they need some garments. Like, oh, yeah, no problem. Here, here's some gold. And he took it back. He hid it. When he walked back into Elijah, Elijah said, Gehazi, where did you go? He says, Nowhere, my master. Oh, how accurately he answered. But he didn't know that he answered. He went nowhere. He says, A leprosy that was healed of Laman, of Naaman, is now upon you for the rest of your life. I'll tell you. What a dangerous thing when we want to walk by sight. The compromise. That compromise, maybe I can get away with it. Maybe nobody will find out. But God sees all, God exposes all. He told David, What you did in secret by laying with Bathsheba, I'm going to do in the open air for everybody to see. Your son will lay with all your wives as he conquers your kingdom. Oh, be careful what you do in secret. God just may want to do it in the open and expose you. But do we really believe that? Compromise. Being unequally yoked. Second Corinthians six, fourteen through eighteen. Don't be unequally yoked, unbeliever with believer, light, darkness, rely on God. There's no come out from among them. I will be a father to you, you shall be my children. Are you going steady? Are you seeing a non believing boy or girl, young man, young lady? then I tell you straight out, you're sinning against God and you're jeopardizing your future. No one has ever married anybody who they didn't date first. Not too profound, I know, but think about it. (laughs) Because the rational always says, well, you know, we're just friends. That's how it begins. When you date a non-believer, remember one thing, the non-believer is all darkness. But as a believer, you used to have darkness in you. And you will gravitate to the darkness, not the light. Young ladies, when you're out there and that guy takes you out and he's a non believer and he wants to get down hot and heavy, what are you going to do? Let's pray? I doubt it. Young men, the same thing with you. Watch your eyes, watch your passions. They'll destroy you. You need to wait upon the Lord. Don't be unequally yoked. Boyfriend, girlfriend, are you in business? Are you a Christian? Don't go in partnership with a non believer, it'll bite you sooner or later. Now, you have to work for worldly firms, but you have a contract, you meet the agreement, fine. But you do not go in partnership with someone else because pretty soon they want to start some shortcuts and they want to not pay some taxes, they want to do some things that are illegal. What are you going to do? You don't have the business. Then you've got to make your decisions based on your business. You don't want to lose it. You be careful. You say, oh, well, I've been like that 10 years. Well, just hang on. Your life's not over. Let it run. Sooner or later. Wait on the Lord. Let Him bring you a godly man or woman. Not a perfect one. Don't go down your checklist. God has a different list. And it's a lot better than your list. Flirting with the world's attractive pleasures, entertainment, what you hear, what you see, what you do. Now, I hope you haven't forgotten to have fun as a Christian. I hope you don't walk around with a solemn face thinking you're spiritual. I hope that if somebody laughs, you don't think they're unspiritual. I hope if someone goes out to have fun somewhere, you don't think they're unspiritual. But I do think that you have to consider what you do for entertainment, what you hear, lest it compromise you and actually reinforce your compromise and bring you down more. You need to mark it well. There are so many things today to take you away. They'll suck you in. Be careful. Places you go. Conversations you you have. Things you do. The people you hang out with, are they carnal? They're going to pull you down. Are they worldly? They're going to suck you in. Be courageable. Go. You have family gatherings. They're pagans. Great. Go. You're a great light. But you don't live with them all the time. Okay, there's a difference. Not yielding to the transforming work of the Spirit. Compromise. You get frustrated. And you really don't want that change, and, and so you, you still hang on to that. And so you say, Lord, I've given you everything, but you know, just as one, just, I mean, can't you let me just, you know, I can handle it. And so some people say, well, there's nothing wrong with drinking. I can drink as a Christian. And you, you can drink. Now, if you get drunk, you're, You're really unwise. And the Proverbs speak against it, because that will lead you to other things, and I doubt if you'll enter heaven. But some people say, well, you know, in the privacy of my own home, one beer. Nobody knows. What if nobody knows? Nobody's going to... You drank your beer, fine. But are you sure you're alone? Your wife doesn't know? Your children don't know? Nobody's ever going to know? And are you really only going to have one? That's my question. (laughs) And let's just say you can't do that. What happens when your kid turns teenager? And he wants one. But he can't handle one. Then he goes on to two, three, four, five. Are you sure you want to risk it? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I used to drink, I used to smoke all the time. I don't want to smoke because it's harmful to my body, the temple of the Spirit. I don't want to drink because I drank enough for my whole lifetime. And I've seen the destruction that it did in my family and my own life. I have to be careful of the compromises I make. Like the father who didn't want his son to drink, and he always told him, no. But yet he himself partook of a very social drink, just. Little shot when he got home. That's all. The man was never drunk. The man was never he was a great provider, everything else. One night the police knocked on his door and he came to the door and said, Mr. let's just say Smith, you have a son named John Smith? Yes. We regret to inform you that he was just killed in an auto accident. He was under the influence of alcohol. The father was crushed. Anger. Who would give my son alcohol? Unable to deal with it, he went to his cabinet where his whiskey was to get himself a shot. And there was a note there, Dad, here's five bucks. I know you'll understand. You were a teen once. Incredible. Killed his own son. I don't know what compromise you think you can handle but if you survive it, others might not. You've got a great responsibility to the world. Your happiness goes beyond you. It's an awesome responsibility to our families and society in the world. This third characteristic of compromise is very, very dangerous. Fourth and last, the fourth characteristic is their sensual life to the point that that's where they were living daily. Verse 6, Then they arose early on the next day, they offered burnt offering, they brought peace offerings, the people sat down, they eat, they drink, and they played. Now, there is nothing wrong with eating, drinking, and playing of themselves. But here in the context, it is not in the proper way, but it is exercised in a religious way to an idol. God never intended it to be like that. Natural drives are legitimate, but when we pervert them, they become wrong. And so the context makes them evil in disobedience to God. But this is where they were now. They were living an essential lifestyle every day. They were pressing on. Yet they were still saying, Jehovah, oh yeah, we were in Egypt. We were there. We saw the miracle. We came out but they're living a sensual lifestyle in the flesh all the time. There's really no difference between them and the people in the world. Eating is in reference to the sacrifice of that God they had just made to fill their fleshly impatience. Oh, and it did bring some temporary relief, didn't it? But remember, mark that well, it's always temporary. It's false. It's a counterfeit. Drinking to quench their unsatisfied thirst, seeing something tangible. And drinking speaks of celebration. You know, you go to a wedding, you toast, you celebrate. It's a celebration of something. Playing, they were enjoying themselves in the ritualistic compromise of sexual pleasures. An orgy at the foot of the mountain. The word used there, or play is the same word that is used in Genesis 26, 8 of Isaac when he was sporting with Rebekah. And Abimelech looked out, and he had been told that that was his sister, and he says, this can't be your sister, because nobody does that with their sister. And uh, so they weren't playing table tennis or jacks or anything else. And he soon found out that was his wife. This is the same word. Let's make no mistake out of it. They were having a sexual orgy according to the ritualistics of the pagans. Who are these people? These are the people of God. Well, has it been 20, 30 years? No, just this first year. They just came out. They just arrived. I think of Samson, a sensual man, because he waited impatiently. Notice how he waited. Impatiently. He always sought out Gentile women. He never obeyed God. He wasn't equally yo. Very impatient. Give me that woman right now, Mom, Dad. I like her. <laughs> Big old doof is <laughs> His eyes failed him, therefore they were plucked out. His unrestrained flesh nearly cost him his life many times and ultimately did. You remember Samson. The scriptures declare. The Samson ruled Israel for 20 years. And then the next tragic verse says, and then Samson went down to Timnah and visited a harlot. What is the area of your life that's unrestrained sensually? And it seems that God has done a tremendous work on it. That's good. Now keep a handle on it. Lest 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, you go down to Timnah and visit a harlot. And you lose your life. Let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And that verse is in the context of all the things that were written for our learning, for our admonition, and all the junk that goes on through the book of Numbers, the wilderness journey, in Corinthians 10. We're going to be getting into that through the weeks and months to come. Oh, be careful. Because of the compromise I've made, my flesh is... Tempted more, James 1, 13 through 15. Let no man say, I am tempted of God, when he's tempted with evil, for God tempts no man with evil, neither tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he's carried away by his own desire, his own lust, his own enticement, and then brings it to pass. And so we really have no excuse, for God does not do that, but we do it ourselves. And it doesn't alleviate the problem, it only intensifies the problem. You know, one beer, then three beers, then six beers, and pretty soon you drink a case. No problem. One cigarette, two cigarettes, three cigarettes, ten cigarettes, pretty soon it's a pack, two packs a day. One donut, then two donuts, then three donuts, pretty soon it's five donuts a day. (laughs) Now, we never talk about those kind of sins. Are there? And I know it's hard for some of you, so I'm not here to mock you or to ridicule you. Hey, do your best and commit the rest. You're not always going to be all hard body i know some young guys and girls you don't think oh come on hey time will take care of you you just wait <laughs> give it to be patient the first characteristic <laughs> because i have taken these first 3 steps the fourth is only natural and inevitable i'm impatient i want to go to the next by sight then compromise, and then I'm living there in the flesh. One leads to another. Because sin is pleasurable and exciting for the most part and for a season. I am not conscious of God when I am living in sin, nor am I concerned about when I'm in my sin. I mean, you're in your sin. You're in, I mean, you're in your glory. I, hey, all right. And though afterwards you will receive conviction, and there is a seeming repentance Time will tell whether that repentance was genuine or not. If you return back to your sin, then that repentance was a repentance of the world which brings forth death and not godly repentance which turns you away from your sin. Remember, sin is pleasurable, or we wouldn't do it. On whatever level. But remember that it is pleasurable for a season. Summer lasts three, four months. Nowadays, we don't know when we're going to get it or how long it's going to be here. But it's only for a while, winter, spring, fall. And so with the pleasure of sin, the consequences that last in your life are too grave and too devastating to go for. They're not worth it. They really aren't. And so you need to be wise. Be careful as you be living in the sphere of the flesh continuously, and yet still coming to church, saying, "Praise God, Jesus, He's Lord." And you're out there, yeah, and boy, we're witnessing, isn't it? But it's not happening. Four characteristics that hinder spiritual growth and lead to backsliding. They're intimately connected and progressive. Impatience, a desire to walk by sight, compromise, unrestrained sensual life. The only solution is repentance. The consequences is reaping. I pray repentance is your choice lest you reap to what you have sown." This is the backdrop. This is the characteristics that will follow the children of Israel through the wilderness. It is not added to them because of the circumstance. The circumstance only brings out these characteristics which were always there. As you and I walk through the wilderness journey of the children of Israel, I pray that as God points these things out to you and me that are necessary to give to Him the change, that we do so lest we forfeit the 11-day journey into the promised land for a 40-year death march, never entering in for that full rest.
0: Pastor Xavier Rees has been carefully examining four characteristics that hinder spiritual growth as observed in the Israelites in the book of Exodus while pointing out important simple truths for believers everywhere to take notice of. And just before we close, let me take a moment to mention that copies of today's study, simply titled, Hindrances to Spiritual Growth, are available on CD for just $4. Just tell us which one you prefer when you get in touch. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply, Hindrances to Spiritual Growth. Or just mention today's date